Yes, Lord, we want to know your heart, God. We want to come closer to you, God. We want to know you deeper, Lord, and we just sense your presence right now. How sweet it is to worship you tonight, to take the time and stop and sit at your feet. And so, Lord, we draw near to you, God, and draw near to us as we do that. We need you so much, Jesus. I pray, God, that you bless your word tonight and that we would understand your love even more and more and that you would show us, God, how much you do love us, how much you care for us, how much, God, you forgive us, how much you give us grace, Lord. So thank you, God. Bless your word tonight. I pray for your Holy Spirit's touch. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you can grab your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And uh, we'll get right into our, our message tonight. Uh, I was reading about when a person is dying, the last words say much about that person and their life. For example, uh, Bing Crosby said, that was a, a great game of golf. Napoleon just said, Josephine, Josephine. The circus owner, P.T. Barnum, said, what are today's receipts? So these last words of these individuals seem to sum up their life. Uh, when a Christian, though, says their last words, it is way different. For example, American evangelist D.L. Moody said, God is calling. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. John Wesley, uh, the great pastor and theologian from long ago, he, when he was dying, he said, the best of all is God is with us. Farewell, farewell. And Stephen, we know, the first martyr in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 56, he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. These last words sure say much about their faith, doesn't it? Well, as we continue our study here in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus is put upon the cross to die. And we find much about Jesus as he's hanging there about him and why he died with his last words that are spoken as he's hanging on the cross. So the title of our message tonight is The Last Words of Jesus. The Last Words of Jesus. Now, this is going to be part one. I was trying to do it in two parts, but I think we're going to end up with three parts here in this passage as we go through it in this chapter. But for tonight, for part one, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 3 from verse 33 to verse 43. Or no, is that right? Luke 23 from, to 42, from verse 33 to verse 42. So that's where we're going to be. Luke 23 from verse 33 to verse 42, the last words of Jesus, and we're going to take that much here tonight. Well, in our section, we're going to see two last statements of Jesus, and the first one is going to be words of forgiveness, and the second one is going to be words of assurance. In total, we're going to have the, the what's known as really the 
last seven words of Jesus or the last statements of Jesus of what he said when he was hanging on the cross. Now, uh, three of the statements we find here in the book of Luke, three are going to be in the book of John and one from the book of Mark. But we'll go through that as we get there. But they're all attached to here in our passage in Luke chapter 23. So let's begin here. Tonight we're just going to see two things, words of forgiveness and words of assurance. So let's begin with number one, words of forgiveness, words of forgiveness. And here we're going to be covering verse uh, 33 and verse 34, verse 33 and verse 34. And so we pick it up here. We last left on verse 32. We begin with verse 33. Just look at that first of all. It says here in Luke 23, verse 33, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. We'll stop right here. Now we begin with Jesus finally reaching the location where the Romans crucify people. That's where this place is. They came to this place. Now, last week we saw Jesus. He was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem. And now here in verse 33, he finally has arrived to this location. And really, this is it. This is where he fulfills his mission. This is the whole reason Jesus came. I mean, this was the main reason as he comes to the end of his life. This is it. This is where he comes to die for our sins. And so we read here in verse 33 that they came to the place that is called the skull, the skull. Now, in the Hebrew, it's called uh, Golgotha. You may have heard that term. The Romans spoke Latin, and they called this place Calvary. So that's where we get our name of country, Calvary Chapel. And... It, it, it all means the skull. And when we took a trip to Jerusalem, we looked over these cliffs where it's believed where the crosses stood outside of the city. And there's caves on the side of this cliff. And it, it looked like it made like a skull image with the eyes and the, the nose and all that. And so perhaps it's believed that's where the, the cross stood, the cross of Jesus. And But also we know that historically that there in this location, they found a whole bunch of pile of skulls, which is probably they just threw the bodies there and found these skulls. So that's probably why they call it the skull, the skull, this place of skull. This is where Jesus was crucified. So it was here at Calvary, the skull, where Jesus was crucified on the cross. And verse 33, Luke also tells us that they crucified him and the criminals, or these thieves, one was on his right and one was on his left. That's why in the images we see, or clip art, or, you know, the time of Easter or Good Friday, we see three crosses. Because here we're told that there was three crosses. Jesus is hung on, on the middle part, and there's the two thieves on each side of him. So three crosses were put up that day, and Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Now, you have to understand, when they brought Jesus here to this location, uh, they, they laid him down 
upon the cross that was on the ground. They spread out his arms and they would pound these nails into his wrists. Now, most likely, it's believed it's through his wrist right here. Uh, I know traditionally it's through his hand, but uh, most believe that if it was through his hand, the nails, the, the, the skin would just rip, rip off as he hung on the cross. So most believe it was through his wrist right here so that he would, when he's suspended on the cross, it, it, you know, it would hold him up. So you can imagine the pain that he felt. I mean, these are like five to seven inches, these nails. They were square. They weren't round. Their shaft was square. And you, you can imagine the pain that he felt when the nails went through right here, your carpal tunnel, right, nerves and all. So you can imagine that. So they laid Jesus down on the cross, spread out his arms, put a nail on each side uh, of, on his left and on his right wrist. And then they take his feet and they would slightly bend the legs and put one foot on top of the other and took a third nail and on the uh, right through the top of the feet to go all the way through to hit the wood of both feet. And again, you can imagine the, the, the pain and suffering that, that he's feeling at the moment. Remember, he's already weak. He's been beaten several times. He's been scourged. The crown of thorns is on his head. Uh, being scourged, his, remember his back is like strips of flesh and, and, and he would have had a, 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 a lot of blood loss here at this point. So even more, more pain, more suffering. And then the Roman soldiers would take that whole cross because it was laying on the ground. They lift it up and then drop it down into a hole where it would stand vertical. And I was thinking about when that cross fell into the hole Imagine the jerking he would feel, you know. Once his full weight is upon the nails in his wrists and the nails on his feet and his back being raw from the scourging, rubbing upon the rough timber of the cross. So this was not a happy time. This was a very painful and suffering time for Jesus. So then we go on to verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. So what we come to here in verse 34 is the first words Jesus says as he hung on the cross in all of that pain and all of that suffering. And I'm amazed at this. The first thing he says is, Father, he's asking he's praying to the heavenly father and he says forgive them and think about this forgive what i mean notice it's not like father send fire down upon the whole crowd and everything come save me no it is forgive them isn't that amazing jesus is in pain and suffering and what does he think about the forgiveness of who well those watching this those there, present, right there as Jesus is hanging on the cross in this place. Who's that? Well, it's the Roman soldiers, right? They're there executing the crucifixion. They were, there, there was one Roman soldier who pounded the nail into him and into his wrists and his feet. And he's saying, forgive him. There's also the crowd, right? who had followed Jesus all the way to this location. And they're, all, they're watching Jesus die. And he says, 
forgive them. This is the same crowd who turned on Jesus and shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And also the religious leaders are there, the ones who conspired, who illegally put him on trial, pushed to get him condemned. And what does Jesus say? Forgive them. This is amazing to me. This is the very first words that Jesus said on the cross. But he also says this. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In other words, Father, they are not aware of, of how their full scope of wickedness. They're, they're not aware that they are actually taking part in crucifying the Son of God. They don't fully understand this, Father, so forgive them. What a heart. What a heart Jesus has. I mean, it doesn't mean they're off the hook, but this is a prayer of grace, you guys. A prayer of grace that Jesus cries out for forgiveness. And to add insult to injury, Luke adds here in verse 34, and they cast lots to divide his garment. In other words, the soldiers were were casting lots. They were throwing dice, basically, gambling for his garments, for his robe. I mean, think about how hurtful to do that right in front of Jesus. Jesus could see them. He's hanging in pain. Yet, the Lord Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't fully understand what's going on. He gives grace. How amazing that Jesus did not pray for revenge yeah, or justice. But here's the point. The first statement of Jesus from the cross was forgiveness to those who did the unforgivable. The first statement that he comes out with, the first words hanging there in pain was forgiveness to those who did the unforgivable. How amazing is that? That our Lord Jesus would do that. After all that he went through, the trial, the beatings, the, the illegal trial, the being condemned, Pilate knowing he was innocent, still condemning him, the people turning on him, the religious leaders spiting him. And now he's at this point. But what's the first words that come out? Forgiveness. For, for those who did the unforgivable. You know, Jesus calls up, God calls us to do the same. Take a moment and turn over to Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says here, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's call for us. Just as Christ was doing on the cross. We are to be kind. We are to be tender hearted. We are to have compassion. And we are to forgive one another. We are to be forgiving one another because Christ has forgiven us. And hasn't he done that, done that for us? Yeah, We brought him We come to him repenting of our sins. We come with our sins to the foot of the cross. And he forgives us because he died on a cross for our sins. And going back to Luke 23, you see that 
His first words were forgiveness. Jesus is about forgiveness. And that's what we should be about, right? I mean, God's forgiven us. You know what I was thinking about today? We, we, are, we are people who always want justice, yeah? If someone does something to us, it's unjust, unfair, what? If we're wrong, no, we want justice. And we may get into the flesh. We may get angry. We may take an action that we regret later because we want to bring justice. Some way, somehow, in our own self-righteousness, we think we deserve those things. And even as Christians, I think sometimes we're worse at that. And, and God will bring justice in His way, in His timing. But you know what? God is calling us to forgive, you guys. Just as what we see here, the first words out of Jesus, the first statement of Jesus on the cross was forgiveness to those who did the unforgivable. That's what God is calling us to do. I know it can be difficult, but you know, with Jesus in your life, you can. With God in you, because God forgives us through you, through the Spirit, you can forgive. But our heart should be there. Our attitude should be like this. Our approach should always be like that. Long ago, I read about a young boy who was um, asked what forgiveness is. What's forgiveness? And his answer was pretty incredible. This was his definition. Forgiveness It is the odor that flowers breathe out when trampled upon. Isn't that good? What comes out when we're trampled? What comes out? Is it grace, like Jesus is giving here? Is it forgiveness, like Jesus is giving here? Right here in the last words of Jesus. So the first thing we see here is words of forgiveness. Words of forgiveness. Secondly, we go on to words of assurance. Words of assurance. And this will be the rest of our passage tonight, verse 35 through 43. But first of all, and let's take a look at Luke 23 from verse 35 to 39. It reads here, And the people stood by, watching, But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 38, there was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So let's stop right here. We begin here with different individuals, the crowd, different groups mocking Jesus basically. Mocking him as he's hanging there in great pain and suffering. In It begins with uh, Luke telling us that here in verse 35, and the people stood by watching. Now, Matthew chapter 27, verse 
39, it says that some of the people were standing watching Jesus there uh, hanging on a cross. You know what they said? They said, if you are the son of God, come down off the cross. You said you could destroy the temple and raise it up in three days and then come down, do that. You can do a miracle, then save yourself. So the crowd of people were mocking Jesus at this point. And then as we read here in verse 35, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is Christ of God, his chosen one. So the rulers are the religious rulers. They are the high council of the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who come to spite him because they won. They feel like they won. We got him. We, we, we're getting rid of him at this point. And so they're mocking him. And probably a crowd's joining in. They're trying to poison a crowd. And just as they did when they told the crowd to say crucify him. And so they're, they're mocking Jesus saying, Hey, if, if, if you're, you're really uh, uh, the Christ, the Messiah, if you're that chosen one, well, save yourself. You say you save others, but how about yourself? And so they're mocking him like, see, you can't. You're really not the Son of God. You're really not the Messiah. That's what they're really saying. And then in verse 36, it says, The soldiers also mocked him. They're like railing on him too. They're like putting him down. They're like scorning him. And they're, they're coming up and offering him sour wine. Now what's that? Well, it was common to give the crucified person this mixture of wine and myrrh so the myrrh made this wine sorrow but what it was it was like a a a a medicine it was something to help numb the pain yeah so they would many times offer that uh i guess in mercy and maybe help prolong this the the time they're up there but they would oftentimes give the person hanging on the cross, this like medicine, and it's called sour wine here, to, to so that the pain wouldn't to take kind of like the edge off to sort of help. But I don't think it re- it really helped. So here's the soldiers coming up and they're mocking Jesus. In a, in a way, they're saying, "Here you go, King. I'm offering you your 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 drink, sir. Here you go. You know." And then they're saying, hey, if, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Oh, if you're really the king here, yeah, come down. If you have all that power, come down. So they're mocking him in that way. And then Luke adds here in verse 38, there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Uh, remember, there was a sign made that, uh, was carried by a Roman soldier we saw last week, which is basically their crime. And for Jesus, it said, this is the king of the Jews. In another gospel, the religious leaders complained to Pilate, said, no, don't change that, that, that he says he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate's like, no, what's written is, is written. So you can imagine now, above Jesus is this sign and says, this is the king of the Jews. So that's why the soldiers are even mocking him. Oh, yeah, king, you're up there on the cross. Yeah, oh, you're hanging there. Oh, here, here you go, sire. Here's your drink. Yeah, uh, Save yourself if you're such a powerful king. So Luke kind of gives us this picture 
of the mocking and even the sign above him is like what people are playing off of, what the soldiers are playing off of to mock Jesus. How, how, how horrible is this? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Um, we know John was there. We're going to see um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. The other women were there. Can you imagine how it's like cutting their heart to not only just see Jesus there, but all the mocking and all the things that are being said to put him down. Imagine Jesus hearing all of this too. Yeah. Can you imagine him? Well, then Luke brings up one more person. And in verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So this is pretty crazy because it's hard enough to hang there on the cross. I mean, you're in a lot of pain. Yeah. I mean, every time you move, you're, you're like sending, you know, jolts of pain from your carpal tunnel up in, in your brain saying, ah, right? The nail on the feet. I mean, the, these two thieves on each side of Jesus, they're, they're hanging the same way with the nails in their wrists and the nail on their feet. And can you imagine pull, pulling on that and you're, you're, all your weight is on the nails, you're hanging on that, pulling on that and on your feet. And did you know the reason they like bend the, the, the legs a little bit and the arms a little bent because you're just kind of hanging there and it, it compresses your lungs. So the only way to get a breath basically is to pull yourself up and push up on the nail on your feet to just be able to get a breath. And then you let go. And then, then, then oh, you got to come up. So imagine this thief in verse 39, in order to talk, he's, he's putting himself in much pain to take a breath and then to say something. And so he goes this far to even put down Jesus and he himself is hanging on the cross. This is how, 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 how much this guy was in just going after Jesus too. And, and, and here in the ESV, he railed on Jesus. What was he saying? Are you not the Christ? Aren't you the Messiah? Didn't you claim to be the Messiah to come? So don't you have the power to save yourself? Come and save us. So perhaps in his own pain and suffering and his anger and bitterness, he, he's angry at Christ and will save us. But you can't, can't you? Huh. How sad it is that all these, the crowd, the religious rulers, the soldiers, and even one of the thieves on the cross, mocking Jesus. But you know what we see here? Even with all this mocking, Jesus said nothing. He was silent. He, he, even though he was being put down, yeah, he did not say anything. I mean, when someone says something to you and puts you down, doesn't it like stir you up inside? What? No, especially when it's not true. When they mock you, if someone hurts you with their words, we get all angry, yeah? But look at Jesus. He said 
nothing. There's nothing recorded when they're mocking him. Certainly it, it fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 53, 7, where it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the sl- slaughter and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Oh, how we need that kind of self-control, huh? <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard, yeah. I mean, sometimes, yeah, we can be quiet and we can hold it back when, with people we don't know, yeah. But doesn't it seem like the people we do know, our siblings, family, our spouse, they say something, oh, yeah, you know. But look at Jesus. In the worst of cases, he stayed silent. May God give us that kind of self-control, too. Well, take a look what happens next. Look at verse 40 and 41. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Stop right there. This is amazing. You think about it. So in verse 40, the other, the other who? The other thief on the other side of Jesus rebuked him, rebuked you, the first thief for saying what he said. The first thief is is saying, ah, aren't you the Christ? You know, don't... Um, won't, won't you save yourself? Save us. Yeah? Bring us down and, uh, you know, save us. Take, you know, help us here. They're on the cross. Ah, you're not the Messiah. But then the other thief on the other side of Jesus rebukes him. He's, it, it's amazing here. He, he spoke up for Jesus. Yeah? And he rebuked the first thief. And, and look at, there's, there's three things that I want you to see. First of all, he says here in verse 40, Do you not fear God? Now, isn't this interesting that I believe he's, he's looking at Jesus in a different way. And he's looking at himself in a different way. You know what he's doing? He's humbling himself yeah, before God. Before, you know, he, he, he's like, don't you fear God? You're about to die. He's saying, look, we're, we're under the same sentence of condemnation. We're hanging on the cross. We're, in, we're under this condemnation to death. Don't you fear God? What's going to happen after this? Don't you fear that well, we're about to die? So this thief, first of all, humbles himself. Then secondly, he says, and we indeed justly, he says. We're receiving the due reward for our deeds. In other words, we're condemned justly. We've been brought to trial. We've been condemned, sentenced to die justly because we did wrong. And here basically he's confessing his wrong. He's, He's saying what we're receiving is our due reward because we did wrong here. 
So he's confessing, you, should, you could say, his sin. But then he recognizes Jesus. He says here then, at the end of verse 41, but this man has done nothing wrong. He recognizes Jesus as being innocent. So, three things here. uh, If you can grasp this for a moment. Three things. The thief humbles himself, number one. Number two, the thief confesses his sin. He takes responsibility for what he's done. He's basically repenting. And number three, the thief recognizes Jesus. So you see where this thief is at. These are really steps of repentance that actually lead to salvation. This is what God calls us to do when when we come to Him and we come to the cross and we cry out to God to save us. Now, the first thief, he mocked Jesus. Yeah. Well, if you're really the Messiah, then save us. Save us on, you know, save us on the cross. Save us. Save us too, that will save all of us that we're hanging here. But he's mocking Jesus. But the attitude of the second thief on the other side of Jesus, he comes humbly. He says, hey, don't you fear God? We're about to die. And then he confesses, we were the ones who've done wrong. He takes responsibility of his sin, really in repentance. And then he recognizes Jesus. This, he's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. So then, let's go on here, verse 42. And he said, this other thief, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to the thief, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So this is amazing. So first, this thief on the other side rebukes, yeah, going, you know, talking to him across Jesus to the one who mocked Jesus, rebukes him, right? Hey, and then he turns to Jesus, directs his 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 voice or his conversation to Jesus, and I think it's like a prayer, you know. And he says, Jesus. The, the Greek word here is Yeshua, yeah? Or the, it's an alliteration of, of the Hebrew word, but basically, Lord, my Savior. Here he's calling Jesus his Yeshua, his Savior, his Lord, basically acknowledging Jesus that he's the Son of God, basically re- believing in him. So he says, Jesus, Yeshua, remember me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Yeah? Forgive me, Jesus. Remember me. Think of me when you come into your kingdom. By saying that, he's acknowledging that you know what? Jesus is going, when he dies, he's going back to heaven. 
He's acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah that has come. And he's returning to God. Isn't this amazing? If you really look at this, you're you're seeing his heart. You're seeing his belief here. That he sees Jesus as the Lord. And so with this humble and repentive heart, he acknowledges Jesus. He acknowledges. And in talking to the other thief, he repents before God. So I hope you see what's going on here. This, this guy's for real. This guy's sincere. Yeah? This guy has seen everything clearly. Yeah? Everyone else is mocking Jesus in contrast. But in contrast, here's this guy who sees Jesus for who he really is. Everyone else is just mocking Jesus in what? Unbelief. Yeah? Putting Jesus down. But here's this one man there hanging on the cross, and sees Jesus for who he really is, his Savior. And then notice verse 43. And he, that's Jesus, says to this thief who rebuked the other guy who's been repenting, confessing, humbling himself, believing in Jesus, look what Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, you know what Jesus is saying? You know what I'm about to say is absolutely true. It's, it's this official statement from me, the Lord Messiah. And he says, today, in other words, when you die, you will be with me. You're going to join me in paradise. And that's another word for heaven or eternity. Jesus is saying, you will have eternal life. And spend eternity with me. You're saved. Now, this is amazing. Because this is the second word that Jesus says from off the cross. There are seven sayings of Jesus. And we saw the first one was words of forgiveness. But here's the second word from the cross. And notice something Jesus responds to the thief in the cross. He was silent, right, with all the mocking that was going on. He didn't say anything, but here he spoke with the one who believes. And I love that. Jesus responded to the faith of this thief. This thief believed and he was saved instantly. And I love what Jesus says here. I love what what, what Jesus is saying in this second word from the cross. Because when the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, the Lord, my Savior, remember me. Yeah, forgive me, have mercy. When when you, you return to heaven, to eternity. Jesus didn't say, well, sorry, it's too late for you. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, if you, if you didn't steal, maybe, maybe you would be there. Yeah. If you weren't a thief and convicted, maybe. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, I look at your life, and if you did more good than the bad, you know, if, 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 you, if, if you did more good to offset the bad, that, well, maybe I'll let you into heaven. 
Jesus didn't say that. He, or, or he didn't say this. How about this one? He, he didn't say, okay, wait, let's stop time. He didn't come down to the cross and find some water and get him baptized. Yeah. He didn't say that either. What did he say? Immediately, he said, truly I say to you, today, right now, you will be with me in heaven. You will have eternal life. Right away, the faith of this thief brought salvation to the thief. Isn't this great? He had no good works that he can show. Yeah, he he he, he didn't uh, pay penance, or you know, he, he didn't do anything, bring a sacrifice to Jesus so that he could atone for our sins. No, Jesus saying, because you believe in me. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we know this verse, right? It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Remember, I always say this, right? We're saved by grace, what? Through faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ and who he is in coming to this earth as our Messiah, the Savior, who came and, and lived and taught us and, and then he died on the cross. He came to this earth as a human being so he could die on the cross and atone for our sins and he rose again from the dead. That's what our faith is put in. That this is Jesus. And so for by grace we're saved through that faith. It's nothing of our own doing. The verse says, you know what it is? It's a gift of God to us, right? We just believe and he gives us this gift, the salvation. It's not a result of anything we did of works. It's nothing that we can boast about. Well, I did this, or I gave this much, or I served here. I, you know, it's none of that. Because we cannot do enough good to offset our sin. It was only through Jesus Christ can we be saved. So here's this amazing second word of Jesus. Hanging on a cross still yet, right? And this is our last point. The second statement of Jesus from the cross was assurance for the thief who believed in Jesus. There were words of assurance here. First, his first statement was words of forgiveness. That's amazing already. But going along with that was words of assurance, assurance for the thief because he believed in Jesus. I love this. God wants to give you assurance tonight that you can be forgiven and you can be saved. If you believe in the Son of God, you can be saved and you can have the assurance of eternal life and being with God in heaven forever. That when you receive Christ, we, we have eternity right away. We're destined for eternity when we have Christ, when we're saved. And here's this thief, though, right there, right? And, 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 and again, this, this thief that believed in Christ, remember, he had, to, he had to take a breath, too. And he's in all this pain, and, and he took a breath. And, and he pulled up, uh, you know, on the nails to take a breath, to be able to rebuke the other guy. And then maybe he pulled up again to, 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 to speak to Jesus, it wasn't like they're, they're hanging there and just having conversation. 
This took effort. Yeah. This was something he had to say and get out and come to Jesus with. He truly believed here. And so, amazing statement of Jesus from the cross was assurance for the thief who believed in Jesus. You know, this, this makes me think about how sometimes people ask me, uh, if I believe in what, what we term as deathbed conversions, yeah, where right at the last moment a person may pray or call out to Jesus to save him right before they die. And they ask me, well, do you believe in, in deathbed conversions? Let me ask you guys, what do you think from what we're reading here? I do. I mean, this is the thief right at the last moment, yeah? Um, he had no good works to show, yeah? He, um, there was nothing else, no sacrifice he could bring. It wasn't like he had, he had time to go to church or anything. This was last-minute faith, yeah? Last-second faith. I believe, yeah, it is possible. I believe that, um, you know what's awesome? Is we're going to get to meet this guy, this thief in heaven, Yeah? We're going to be able to, hey, talk to what, what was that like? Was that really hard? Did, did, you, did you say all this and, you know, like in between breaths? And how many times did you pull up to be able to say all this? You know, what was it like when Jesus looked at you? What was in his eyes when Jesus spoke to you? What did you feel when Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise? It must have been amazing for him. I was thinking about in the last days of my grandmother before she died, uh, my wife and I were able to go to her side and, and, and share Jesus with her, and, and she prayed, and she received Jesus, and I, I believe she's in, in heaven. Now, the hard thing is when our loved one passes, and maybe you didn't have that opportunity to share Jesus, or maybe you did, and and, and, maybe, and maybe they didn't really pray with you. That, that's hard, right? Not knowing, yeah. Did, it, are they going to be in heaven? Are they not? That, that's really difficult. Um, did they call out to Jesus? But you know what? For me, the hope is that God answers our prayers. The hope is... All this time that we've been trying to share Jesus with them, that maybe at that last moment, maybe in their last thoughts, maybe in their last breath, or you know, that they 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 grab on to Jesus, that they take maybe what we've been inputting or as we pray over them or the scriptures we've been reading them, that maybe our hope is that they do call out to Jesus and they're in heaven right now. I think that's more, more real. I think God is trying to reach everybody, right? He desires that no one would perish. So I think the Holy Spirit's working strong all the way up to the end. And I believe that is very, very possible because of what we're reading here. That in the last moments, yeah, like this thief, he's dying. But he believes in Jesus and he's saved. But with that, I do want to put out a warning. Some, with, with 
reading something like this or deathbed conversions uh, we were talking about some 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 people think oh well then you know i'll just wait to receive jesus you know till right before i'm dead just live it up live how i want and then right at that last moment i'll cry out to jesus but i would say don't wait until then because you're going to miss out first of all you're going to go through much consequences and pain and suffering without God and his help. And it's, it's hard enough to live life here, but especially without Jesus. But I also say, how do you know that you will have that moment? Yeah. How do you know? You may not. Maybe death could come suddenly like that. Maybe in an accident. But if you're listening to this, maybe you're online, the best choice is to receive Jesus right now. That's the best choice. That's the best thing. I mean, look how sad, really, one of the sad things in this passage is is only one thief was saved. Why wasn't it two? Yeah? It really should have been two. it should have been that after the 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 one uh, the other thief rebuked the first one, yeah, that the first one go, "You're right. I gotta humble myself. You're right. We we deserve this. You're right. I, I, I he's innocent. You're right. He is Yeshua." That's how he should have responded. But we don't read any of that. I mean, maybe he did, but I hope he did, but we don't read anything. And perhaps he perished in his sins. So you guys, where are you with Jesus? Come to Jesus right now. Give him your life. Believe on him. You know, this, what we're seeing here tonight, the words of forgiveness, that's Jesus. He wants to bring words of forgiveness to you. The words of assurance, that's Jesus. That's his heart. He wants to bring words of assurance. And when you believe in him, accept him in your heart and are forgiven of your sins, he wants to say, yeah, truly I say to you, it's, I am going to make it official. You'll have eternal life. You'll be forgiven and you can come to heaven and live with me. This is God's heart. Yeah? We're seeing it revealed to us in his last words. Like I said um, at the beginning, you know, the last words of someone when they're dying, they say much about that person. And now look what we're finding in Jesus. Forgiveness, assurance, salvation. God he is here calling. Will you come to him? This is his grace. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I'm not, I don't know, I've done so much wrong. But you know what? This is God's grace, right? He's a father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's, he's calling out to you in the same way. I want to forgive you. No matter how bad it is. No matter what you've done to me. Maybe you rejected me, Jesus is saying. Maybe you rebelled against me. Maybe you walked away and you're thinking, God, how could you love me? How could you want me back? But Jesus is saying, no. 
I forgive you. Come, I want you back. I want to save you. I want to give you assurance that I love you and you'll be with me in eternity. I'll close with this. Um, um, It's actually kind of like a a, sort of a joke. (laughs) But I'll close with this. This man dies and goes to heaven and meets Peter. And he tells the man that he will need 100 points to get into heaven. So Peter tells him, tell me every good thing that you've done in your life, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you points for that. And we'll see if they can add up to 100 points. So the man says, okay, okay, well, let me give you this. I was faithful to my wife in marriage for 50 years. Totally faithful, dedicated to her. Peter says, great, that's three points. And the man's like, what? Only three points. Okay, okay, all right. How about this? I was faithful to go to church every week. I didn't miss a service. And Peter says, great, that's one point. The man's like, whoa, this, this is tough. All right, all right. Let me give you this. These are all the ministries I tithed and supported. And so he's listing out this, all these 20 different, a list of 20 different ministries and missionaries and people that he supported and, and all. And then, then let me give you this. I served in the church in all these different ways. And he gave Peter like five different ways he served in the church. And, and then he added just thinking this, this will get Peter. I even served and volunteered in a homeless shelter for a while. And Peter says, great, I love that. You know what? You get two more points. <laughs> the man is just frustrated at this point, And he shouts and he says, what? At this rate, the only way I can get into heaven is by the grace of God. And Peter says, yes, you got it now. Come on in. <laughs> That's it. By grace, through faith in Jesus. And that's what we find here. In the words of forgiveness, and the words of assurance. In these, the last words of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for your heart, God. Even in the midst of all your pain and suffering, hanging on the cross, Lord. Even that you're dying, Lord. That you're losing strength, God. That every time you say something, you have to press down, pull up, God, on the nails just to take a breath and say something. And in the seven things that you have said, Lord, in your seven last sayings, your seven last words, God, the first one was forgiveness. Words of forgiveness. And Lord, how amazing is that? And the second, uh, the second word that you said was assurance and and that was in response to this thief who was believing in you and in repentance and confession lord what a heart that is god your compassion your love lord toward us god you're calling us to come to you that no matter what we've done you forgive no matter what god you, you love on us and, and you reassure us, God, of who, who we are in you and, and that we belong to you and, and heaven is in our future. 
And so, Lord, at this moment, I just want to stop and and if there's and just say and talk to anyone here or online. If you want to receive Jesus right now, if this is speaking to your heart, just pray this prayer. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I confess and I repent of my sins. Lord, cleanse me right now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And save me. Lord, thank you that you give me eternity and eternal life when I believe in you. Come into my life as I accept you into my heart. Make me a new creation as I surrender my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and rising again. I believe in you. Lord God, thank you for those who prayed that prayer and they are saved now. Give them assurance by your Holy Spirit, God. Thank you, God, that your grace is given toward us, Lord, and your grace is here tonight. Lord, I pray for anyone else who's here or listening that perhaps you have sinned. Perhaps you're carrying right now guilt and failure this week, and perhaps you're a Christian, you're a believer, but you're feeling so discouraged, so low, so condemned. God, I pray that you help them to see what we see today, that your words of forgiveness and words of assurance, God, they come by grace. And we put our faith in you and what your word says, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and we are in you now, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus that we are in you and you are in us. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here that they would confess their sins right now and that, Jesus, you forgive them and lift off of them the guilt and condemnation. Lord, we come to you and surrender all And thank you, God, for dying on our cross and for the grace of your love given to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.